Psalm 110. Whoever gets to it first and would like to read out, please do so. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves truly on the day of your power in your holy, in holy garments. From the womb of the morning to the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will, he will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Amen. So what's that psalm about? It's actually one of the most quoted psalms in all the Bible, in the New Testament. Jesus reigns. That's right. So we understand that that uh, from Daniel seven thirteen that the there is one like the Son of Man who will be presented before the Ancient of Days, and to him will be given a dominion and a kingdom, and it'll be an everlasting kingdom. And so that's. When Jesus was identifying who he was to the chief priest, he actually identified himself as the Son of Man. And this is this is a psalm about uh, the Son of Man. And what's amazing about it, it starts out, it says, The Lord says to my Lord, who has a New American Standard or a King James? Anybody? I know Bob didn't because I didn't recognize the translation. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Okay, so you'll see the, the first word, Lord, is all caps. The second word, Lord, uh, has a, a capital L, but the rest is lowercase. Mm-hmm. The reason why is because they're trying to distinguish. There's two words there. And the first word is the, is the name of God, the tetragrammaton, the Yahweh, when you put in vowels. It's the name that cannot, of God that cannot be spoken. Um, and then there's the, the second word uh, for God here is Adonai, which is the name of God that we can speak. It's the God that is with us. It's uh, the one who is the, the Son of Man, right? So this is actually uh, a psalm in many ways that is much like the um, the vision that was given to Daniel, where the son, one like the Son of Man, was presented to the Ancient of Days and was given to him a, a dominion and a kingdom. And that's why I bring that up. This also happened to be um, the psalm that Jesus quoted that shut up the Pharisees and the scribes when they were trying him and plying him with all sorts of different uh, ways of trying to trick him up in his words. Um, and I'll, I'll take you to the scripture here. Let me find it first before I shout out a address. So if we go to it's in Matthew. I want to say it's uh, 22. 43 to 45. Pardon? 43 to 45. Yep, yep, yep. That's 
So when Jesus was was tested, and um, the, finally they're they're asking him, you know, what's the what's the greatest commandment? And he gives the uh, commandment from Deuteronomy. It's called Shema uh, Yisrael. Uh, the Lord says, uh, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind." This is this. Uh, this is the great command and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, which is out of Leviticus. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. Right? Because they were speaking of the the physical lineage of the, the Messiah. And he said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? And that is uh, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, call him Adonai. The Lord, and then he quotes, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? So Jesus was asking them a puzzling question, which they couldn't answer unless they knew who the Christ was. Right? It says, No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day to ask him another question. That was the, the uh, because if, if they could answer that question, they would have to admit that he was the Christ, the Son of Man. And in fact, that's a little bit later in Matthew, and the reason Matthew shares this particular incident was because later in, uh, in Matthew 26, um, 63, 64, and this is also one that should be memorized. And 63, it says, But Jesus uh, kept silent when he was accused. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, coming on the clouds of heaven. So that's a, a direct uh quote from Daniel that talks about this one who is the Messiah and how he can be both fully divine, having access without uh, limitation to the court of the, of the king, because he is the king, right? And that's why he's given that dominion, it's an eternal dominion, and that we understand that both in an administration, in God's creation, that all things were created by him and for him and through him, right? So there is a certain administrative role in the king, but ultimately all things will be um, made subject to Christ. And that's what we're going to read about this morning in Ephesians. Um, and so we've been studying Ephesians. And I already put the cheat sheet up on, on the screen here. What's Ephesians about? Well, we read in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, in verse 1, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we understand that what Paul's writing um, is uh, 
has a twofold purpose. One, that we might know who we are, what the calling that we have in Christ is, and that that should impact us in some way in how we behave and live in the world, that we would walk worthy of the calling which which you have been called. So the, the primary points that Paul wants us to understand is first he wants us to know who we are in Christ. Let me grab a pointer here for a second. So he wants us to know who we are in Christ, and then he wants us to behave in light of that knowledge. And finally, he wants us to be able to stand firm in the spiritual battle. So that tells us a couple things. It tells us that a spiritual battle is coming, or is here, and that we have a part in it. And that uh, in order to um, be successful carrying out the mission of the church, we need to be able to stand firm. So we understand that, that that's what uh, Ephesians is about in the sense of what Paul wants us to understand. Um, So I gave kind of an outline based on on that, uh, understanding our position in Christ um, in first three chapters, understanding how that should affect our behavior in the next uh, two and a half chapters, and finally, um, how to stand fast. So, we were working through, and we talked about issues of uh, salvation, because pretty much um, the theological core of what Paul wants us to understand is in the opening doxology. So when we looked at verses 3 through 14, that really is the guiding uh, theology for the whole of the letter. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read that doxology before every section that we study, because every section should give us some understanding of that theology, either in knowing who we are in Christ or in uh, how we should behave in the world, right? And so we're, that's, that's kind of the path that we're going to take from this point forward through Ephesians. But I wanted to point out um, that there are benefits um, to being in Christ. And that's an important thing to understand. When we look at kind of the thesis here in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I mean, if we just stopped right there, that's an incredible statement. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in the heavenlies, in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. So we were chosen for a purpose, and that this choosing is part of the blessing of God. And so we would understand that blessing or that benefit to us in um, what we call as Christian salvation, right? That God, um, in his incredible grace and love, decided to intervene in our lives as fallen, fallen creatures such that he could redeem us to be in relationship with him, right? That's what salvation is about. It's about relationship. 
It's not about location. It's not about going to heaven. So a lot of times people would say, you know, well, I get to go to heaven because I'm saved. Well, that is a true statement, but that is not the purpose of salvation. The reason you go to heaven is because that's where God's kingdom, uh, in, in, in the court of the king, that's where it plays out from. Right? So we understand there's a greater reality, a heavenly reality, a spiritual reality, and to be in relationship with God and communion with him means that we will be in his place of, of abode. We will be in heaven. And that we talked about um, what God is doing in the course of salvation. Right? We understand it starts with God and that this idea of God choosing us and that that choosing us was before the foundation of the world. And so we didn't really... Uh, go into all of the issues uh, of whether God chose us and then created us or whether he created us and then chose us. Those are, uh, if you got my notes, there's a a discussion on that. And unless there are questions, I won't necessarily go into that. That's called the lapsarian debate. So you have super lapsarian. uh, Anyways, we're not going to go into that. It's It's a fun theological discussion. But the whole point is, is that God chose us. And that it was an intention, a specific intention of, of his part expressed in his will that um, occurred before the foundation of the world. So God knew in his foreknowledge that humanity was going to fail. He didn't set man up to fail, but he knew that, that man would would choose the evil rather than the good. And that as a result of that, the death would enter in. And, you know, I can't imagine God knowing this and allowing it to occur is is pretty phenomenal because when it occurred, it really ticked him off. (laughs) Right? So when we talk about the wrath of God, that's a righteous anger about the defiling of that which God declared as very good being corrupted. What God declared very good became corrupted and separated from him. And that ticked him off. And it ticked him off because it was wrong. It was unright. God's intention was to be in relationship with his creation in a very peculiar way. Not to make his creation um, gods, but that he would actually impart the life that is in him to his creation. And we see that from the very beginning in the Genesis story. And that, that humanity, as a special place in his creation, was separated from him really, really made him angry. And so there is wrath against sin. But God loves the sinner. That's why he chose from before the foundation of the world to make that relationship restored, to redeem that which was lost. And that's an expression of his grace. And we read about that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us 
in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, that's that relationship piece, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. That's an incredible statement. He lavished that grace on us. And we understand then that as a result of God's choosing us and his grace, grace that comes before, that means that we're uh, totally unable to respond to the, the calling or the grace of God, except that he takes some specific action on our, on our behalf. And that it's effectual grace. That that's where Jesus is saying, you know, no one can pluck those that I've chosen from my hand. That we have security in that. It's effectual. And that we understand that he does this through calling. And that's the revelation by the Spirit. Right? So, um, I remember a, a statement that struck me one time. I was talking to a, um, a missionary in Africa, and he said, um, all truth is revelation. And that we, we would not be able to apprehend truth except God works within our heart to help us to know that that is the truth. And that's the, the job of the Holy Spirit, right? When we look at what the Spirit is doing, the Spirit is revealing the truth of God to us. Sometimes that truth is convicting us of sin. Sometimes it's testifying to His Son. Right? And in all of that, it's designed to help us know who He is such that we can walk in a manner worthy of our calling and be able to stand in the evil day. That's the, the job of the Spirit. And that the Spirit reveals himself in a general way, <clears throat> reveals God in a general way. <clears throat> we understand that um, through general revelation. You know, we, we read in, uh, in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. So we understand that creation itself is telling us about who God is. It's revealing it. But beyond that, we also have a special revelation. God didn't want us to guess about his nature. So he reveals himself specifically, and that's what's captured in these pages that we call the, the Bible, the scriptures, um, where there's an encounter with God. And that encounter is all about God, through his spirit, revealing himself to us, his person, his character, his nature, his plan, what he's about doing. That's what we call specific revelation. And all that's tied up in our calling. And it's effective. And finally, we get to what we usually think of as good Baptists, uh, what salvation is. It's a conversion experience. And the regeneration experience. And I'm going to talk about these together because I think they're inseparably coupled. And that um, whether regeneration, rebirth comes first, or whether it comes as a result of repentance and faith I don't think is an issue I think they occur concurrently 
and that what happens is as a result of the work of God in his spirit to cause us to be born again and that's exactly what happens we read in in uh, John chapter 1 in the epi- in the uh, prologue we read that but as many received him to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God so there's a, an active work of the spirit in regeneration that causes us to to be completely new creatures we are born again and that involved in that also is a is a uh, a change of heart a repentance and uh, stepping out on that change of heart which we call faith and what you're going to see is in Ephesians specific words are used that are foundational to the Christian faith Christian religion. We understand that there is faith, love, hope, grace, and truth. And you're going to see all of those words played out both in this doxology, which is the core of the theology of of Paul and Ephesians, as well as the prayer, which we're going to look at here in a few minutes. But that's what this is about, conversion, regeneration. And finally, there's a work of God on our behalf that allows us to be in him and um, untarnished by the world. So justification, and we talked uh, about that at length, about how God would view Mother Teresa, for example, being in Christ. Is it her good works, or is it Christ that God sees when he looks at Mother Teresa? Or I'll pick on me. When God looks at me, what does he see? Does he see my, my failures, as well as maybe some of my triumphs? Or does he see Christ? Well, that's what it means to be in Christ. God sees me truly as I am, but I am justified. Not just as if I'd never sinned, but rather positionally in a place where that sin does not separate me from God. It's part of the atonement. And then finally, this this working out uh, through the walking worthy uh, of our calling is sanctification. That's about maturity and assurance and perseverance, and that's what we're doing today. And finally, we're going to get to a place of glorification. I'm going to speak about this because Paul speaks about it extensively. Understanding the glory of God. What is glory? Tim? Uh, Okay, sorry. Sorry, It's okay. You can can derail. That's fine. Okay, so we talked uh, before about this, and at least in my notes, I say that really election, grace, and calling all on God, and even uh, justification and glorification. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the maturity, the walk to maturity and sanctification, and certainly the conversion and regeneration, <clears throat> is kind of on us. Is it, is it totally on us, or is it kind of like when uh, a baby's learning to walk, right? And you see this little kid with rubbery legs, and, and he's determined, because there's whatever on the other side of the room, that he's determined to get too fast, right? So that's the amazing thing. The reason they quit crawling and stand up and walk is so that they can run, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's about, it's about being more effective, Right? 
And so what happens when that kid first walks? Where's the parent? Yeah, parent's holding him. So is that kid walking completely on his own, or is he walking with the assistance of a loving parent? Now, there's going to be a point where the parent, because he loves that kid so much, is going to step back and say, I'm right here, but take a step. Walk in faith, right? So I would say that it's not, it's not like we have to do all this, that the burden is upon us, but rather it's more of that communion with God that's the result of him redeeming us that um, empowers us and strengthens us in his spirit. That makes sense. Yeah, that's what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians that he said, "So you trusted in Christ, and now you want to want to become holy by keeping all of these good things." No, he said, "Do it by faith." Just that's like, right. Just like you started. Continue yes, this is how you started, and this is how you continue up to the point of glorification. Right. So, glorification. What is glorification? Yeah, right. We would understand that. So, there's kind of a companion letter to Ephesians, uh, Colossians. And if you look at Colossians chapter 3, I say it's a companion because you see a lot of the same theology expressed, um, although perhaps more personal than you see in Ephesians. But you'll see in chapter 3 of Colossians, just a couple pages beyond Ephesians there, (coughs) chapter 3, verse 4, you'll read, When Christ... Who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. So, one of the things I'll say is that this is a a grammatical construction that's like an equal sign. When it says, when Christ, who equals our life, our life, the life that we have, true life, eternal life, is the life of Christ. That when he was raised from among the dead, the first, that that is um, a foretaste for us of how we will be raised as he was raised. The very life of God that is in Christ is our eternal life. That's what that means. When Christ, who is our life, when he is revealed, well, what what do we know about Christ? We know he's revealed... Um, this morning but he's also ultimately going to be revealed uh, in the clouds as it talked about the son of man coming to make right that which is not right so he's coming as the righteous king and when he we call that justice to return that which is not right to righteousness call that justice. So he's coming to <clears throat> to bring justice. That would be scary for those that want wrong to remain, or want evil to stand. Because he will by fiat because he is the king, bring righteousness. And that's what we read this morning uh, in Psalm 110. When he comes. So when he's revealed then you will be revealed with him in glory. We understand that Christ in his um, resurrected body is glorious. And he actually gave a 
a, a preview of that on the Mount of Transfiguration. So he was at a place where he did not need to die. Death had no hold on him. He chose to die our death, to die in our place. But nonetheless, when he was on that Mount of Transfiguration, he could have immediately stepped in to uh, his place in heaven. He is the, the rightful heir. And yet, what did they see? They saw that in that condition, he was so bright, it's the brightest bright that they could describe. So if you look at the accounts of the transfiguration, it talks about that he was shining white. The word there is um, it's like uh, bleaching uh, a white garment, and it's brighter than that. And I don't know if you've ever seen bleach when it's first applied. It almost has a blue. It's so white, right? It's so bright. That's what that glory looks like. It is the, the, uh, the awesomeness, the... I don't know, know, words fail us, right? It is who God is. When we appear before him, he is in glory. And that's going to be revealed. And it's going to be revealed in us. We are going to be as he is. Then you will be revealed with him in glory. So that's a pretty amazing thing, right? Glory is the revelation of God. It is where there is nothing between you and him. It's fully revealed. And we are going to be in the presence of God and will share in his glory. That's what that tells me. When I read here, I read about that glory. Right? So I'm, I, I stopped where I was reading through uh, about uh, the grace of God that he lavished on us. It says, in all wisdom, I'm picking up in verse 8, chapter 1 of Ephesians, in all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, that is Christ, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. Talking about that revelation of Jesus when all things are made right. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. So it doesn't just occur here. We know that the earth is going to be set right. But we also know that the heaven's going to be set right. Because there's actually a battle in the heavenlies. That this struggle that we have is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul's going to share that a little bit later. Those are his words. And he's talking about rulers and authorities and titles and power. He's referencing all of those things he's not going to elaborate on them because it doesn't matter what powers come against God what matters is is that God is he's triumphant because of who he is not because he has to win he already won it was a rebellion against him and so what we read is is that in Christ we have the summing up of all things in heavens and things on earth in him Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. So what we understand is, is that that's that last place there, that glorification. We actually have an inheritance 
We have a future. What, what happens when, in faith, faith is what you do now, right? Um, I got up this morning, and I, I studied to come here, and I may go home and take a nap a little bit later, we'll see. Uh, might get a Christmas tree, I don't know. I don't know how the day will play out, because I'm living this day in faith, right? I'm doing that which the Lord has put before me to do, and that's how I'm going to live my moment by moment. But there's another piece in there. I'm actually looking for that inheritance. The reason I can be um, not despondent in a world of desperation, a world that is totally lost and without hope, is because I see the future. I know that I have an inheritance. I I have presently a relationship with Christ, and I have in the future a relationship with Christ, And it's going to be in his presence in glory, which is phenomenal when I read that, right? Mm -hmm. To the praise of his glory. In him, after you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So we understand from those last two verses, we have the doxology um, pretty much given through 12. Now there's this, this summing up that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So that means the Holy Spirit is present now. The reason why the Holy Spirit is present now is because he's present through all of this but he's especially present right here in this uh, creative act of regeneration. Him? Okay, so, I'm sorry. This might be a little simplistic, but I think back to the premise of Ephesians, mm-hmm. okay, which I summarize as walk worthy. Yep. Okay, and I, I know that in my own life, if I'm honest, <laughs> I don't always walk worthy, okay? Yep. Um, and, and yet I believe that I have made a confession of faith, and I, you know, I believe that I'm a Christian. I don't believe that I will lose my salvation in that, in that, uh, that he will walk away with, from me. I don't think that's going to happen. Right. Okay? I believe his grace and his blood is sufficient once for all to take care of everything yep. I can do even even you know forward <laughs> you know in the future um, and I believe I have this inheritance and uh, you know if I didn't um, I'd still want to be on this path <laughs> yeah okay so but the thing about maturity you know I to me, we always have to continue to get more mature in yes. Christ. Yes. Okay? And so we're on this path to, to maturity or Christ-likeness. Mm-hmm. And I know that I fall short of that on several points. So... Sure. <laughs> Do you think that surprises God? <laughs> no, I don't think it surprises him. But it, it's, we can't have it as an excuse not to continue to be in the word and 
and not and continue to be uh, trying to take those steps uh, and do as well. Correct. Correct. It, it, so but I know that. So I so that child that's being held by the parents' hands is taking a step. Yeah. And putting weight on their legs. He's doing what he can do with his own ability. Right? That's right. Now, is that child fully able? Well, he might be. Or he, or he might but not. What's apparent there for then? It depends on his level of maturity, right? <laughs> right. Okay, so... But, but, even, but even as an Olympic athlete, right, is that person ever independent of, of those that are there upholding him and I mean, we understand now we're moving from concrete to abstract. But even in this world, we have a pattern of relationship. And I'm going to give you a pattern of relationship that kind of follows this. Call it courtship and marriage. Right? When I've heard of them. Yeah. So in, to enter into courtship, you're answering a call. Right? And you actually go through a conversion experience in courtship where you commit to your love. Are you married yet? Yes. <laughs> well, I would say in courtship, it is so binding, it is as if you're married. But you're not married, yeah, but you're right. not married yet. When marriage comes, when... You're testing. <laughs> you're, you're continuing to grow. In other words, you don't grow up to a point and then stop. You continue to grow. Anybody that's been married for more than a day knows that. I heard a lot of acknowledgments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's good, right? Because we discover things about our love that we could never have known in courtship. And so to be in this glorious union with God is a continuing maturity. So that means that I'm still, on the day of my marriage, pretty mucked up. <laughs> right? But that God hopes in us. He has faith in us. You ever consider that? We think that our faith is, is magical and our hope is special. Look at God's. Who, from before the foundation of the world, chose us. Wow. And knowing that we were going to have all these boogers in our beards. You know? He knew it. But, but God, God doesn't have faith in us. Not faith in the sense of, of, uh, unknown. of the unknown, correct. But I would say uh, a confidence like I have confidence in my kids. Right? Um, but what I'm pointing out is, it's, is that there's this, there's this progression. So there's a benefit to being in Christ. That is, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, in Christ. That's what it says here. That's the thesis. And so, to, to move on, because I really do want to get to the prayer. I gave a summary of the doxology that... Um, a bit more? No? Okay. Summary of the doxology. We're blessed and chosen by God to live blamelessly before him. That's the basic thesis that Paul wants us to understand. Walk worthy of the manner in which you were called. Right? So we need to understand calling. We need to understand uh, walk. And so um, we're blessed and chosen to live blamelessly before him. Um, 
what that's doing is it's telling us the value that God places on us. And that we're chosen for a, re- for a relationship. Chosen by God for adoption and, uh, and forgiveness through grace. So this is the expression of that love of God is grace. Right? Um, and so, finally, the plan, uh, his plan for eternity is revealed and his spirit is given as a guarantee. That's what we read in this dexology. All of that changes who we are and how we walk. Um, if you didn't know what you knew today, Tim, you probably would sin unintentionally, not just because you didn't know, right? Then when you find out, it grieves your heart. It's like, oh, man, I didn't know that was so offensive. When I truly understand the magnitude of the offense to God, it grieves my heart like it grieves his. Think about that. That's a good thing. Grief over unrighteousness means that you are understanding something about the heart of God. You're actually drawing closer to him. You're coming into the light. If you remain in the darkness, you can't be, can't be cleansed. But if you come into the light, what, is it, what happens when we come into the light? It says, uh, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What verse is this is in 1 John um, chapter 1, verse 7. <clears throat> Talking about light and darkness, and, and John uses that theme a lot to help us understand what it means to be in relationship, to be in Christ. So Paul uses the words in Christ. Um, John uses light and dark. Right? Walk in the light. What happens in the light? Ow! My ugliness becomes apparent. But guess what? God is cleansing me to adorn me as a bride. Right? That's one, one way of viewing what God is doing. That's what, that's what Paul's saying here. And that the, the uh, I've got it now is that we have a, a foretaste of the Spirit working in us, the power of God actually working in us to reveal himself and to strengthen us to stand in the in the evil day. Right? That's what's going on. That's what this says. So I'm going to take you to now the prayer, and I, I did it before we got to the last five minutes. Yeah. So this is the Thanksgiving prayer of of Paul. I'm going to read it, then I'll go through and point out the highlights, and then we'll start unpacking it more fully. And this is not the end of the prayer, by the way. This just happens to be the where the, the chapter marks fall and what we can reasonably accept in a day. And this is all one long sentence in Greek, so now you know the mind of Paul is complex and weird. So I'm reading in chapter 1, verse 15 of Ephesians, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith... and in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom 
and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Incredible, incredible uh, intercession for us. And I would say that this continues on. We're just going to break it right there. Um, one long sentence. What we, what we see is that Paul's, uh, he's reporting uh, of what he's heard of their faith and love. That's what we see in verse 15. And we see an affirmation that he gives thanks and prays for them. And that this praying, he says, I do not cease giving thanks for you. So that idea of not ceasing, so, so we have this idea of continual prayer. Um, how many of you just kind of talk with God as you walk through the day? And whether you call it prayer or not, you're just kind of in a dialogue. Yeah. That's, that kind of is how I spend a majority of my time in prayer. I'm just sitting there talking to God, um, knowing that he is fully present. And I'm sure, in, and you'll see this, sometimes you'll be driving down the road and you'll turn over and look at the guy next to you and he's sitting there talking to himself. Mm-hmm. Might be a fellow Christian talking to God, <laughs> right? Because I do that, and I'm sure people think I'm crazy too. I might be, but nonetheless, that's continually, that's that walk of prayer, right? And I know many other people have that too. That, that's what Paul's saying. He doesn't cease giving thanks for you. He's always praying. He's always talking to God. And he's making mention of you specifically. Right, that's that's pretty amazing, and I and I put that in the present tense because I think that that's what happens. I know for me, it was uh, people like Paul who could speak in long sentences um, that were praying for me when I was lost, and a lot of them I had absolutely no clue, I had no clue they even knew who I was, and then. Years after the fact, I run into them and I say, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. I was praying for you, and I've been praying for you. Still praying for you. It's a good thing, right? <laughs> so that's, that's Paul. He's saying that he gives thanks and prays for them continually. And that what that prayer is, is it's intercession for the gift of revelation. All truth is revelation. That's the Spirit of God working in us, whether we have an emotional response to that or we have a rational response to that. The Spirit of God is working in us to reveal God to us. Right? And what is the purpose of that? We see that the goal of the prayer uh, is that Revelation will bring three-part knowledge of God. He says, I pray that the eyes of... I'm reading verse 18 here. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know the hope of his calling. One, you need to know the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? So he wants us to know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and to know his incomparably great power. I'm going to digress a little bit here and then come back. Um, Let's talk about power. So here we are in these frail bodies in a world that is totally messed up. And if you look at the universe um, in any form, fashion, it is essentially a closed system. So um, if, you, if you've ever seen the Truth Project, there's uh, the, the guy who presents that starts out with a box. He says, this is the universe. It's in the box, right? A lot of stuff in that box, but it's all in the box. God is outside of the box. God is not closed in the sense that um, the universe is closed. We have a finite reality. Even if you count billions and billions of years, as some would count, 14 billion, right? Big Bang Theory. Um, it's still finite. It's denumerable. You can number it. God is not denumerable. He is not able to be put in a box, even though we like to do it a lot, right? So when I look at the world, and sometimes I look at it in absolute awe, when I look at it in awe, I'm looking at it because God created that. That was in him before he spoke it. Right? Phenomenal. And other times I look at it as that closed system and I think nothing can get better. It's a corrupted, totally broken world. It's a totally broken universe. It is going towards death. And you can denumerate that all the way out to infinity. It's still death. It's cold. It's dark. It's empty. And there is no life there. There is no life apart from that which God breathed in. The life was not in the box. The life came from God. Right? A world separated from God is dark and cold and hopeless. Imagine the power that can breathe life into that. Imagine the power that can take, once you've expired all of your seconds, 86,400 of them in a day, count up the number of days in your life. It's a lot of seconds. And sometimes your heart's beating more than once a second. The end of all of those, and they put you in the ground, or they put you in a furnace, and you're done. That's what happened to Jesus. He took our death upon himself. But he didn't stay there. The power of God actually raised him from the dead. That that came from outside of the box. That is an incredibly powerful thing to do, to bring life where there is no life. That's what God is doing 
for us. This is an incredible power that can raise the dead to a life that cannot ever be lost, to an eternal life. Not just in unending days, but also in infinite quality. So you have infinite days, infinite quality, because you're actually spending it with the one who is life himself. That's amazing. That's an incredibly powerful thing. <clears throat> that's, what, that's what Paul wants us to know here. <clears throat> that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, that we would know him, that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. <clears throat> so, when I look out at the universe, I don't see cold, dark, empty. I see the glory of God written in the heavens. When I look at everybody, and of course I have my favorites, my wife, <coughs> I see a, a, a miracle present. Right? When I look with those eyes, that the eyes of my heart might be enlightened so that I can know what is the hope of his calling. That that's the heart of God that chose me from before the foundation of the world and is working so effectively in grace both before I can possibly know him and as a result of that in, in knowledge of him being reborn I can know that calling that wooing of God that incredible grace and that that gives me hope so that the eyes of my heart might be enlightened so I know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints now <clears throat> how many think that that means that he's talking about um, our inheritance So that, that's the way I think it, you would casually read it. It's like, oh, this is talking about our inheritance. We have this incredible inheritance. No, this is talking about God's inheritance. Did you ever think about that God has an inheritance? What is the inheritance of God? It is the creatures that he created to be in relationship with him. See, God, God's, uh, God is blessed. Can he have more blessing? Um, this is this is the inheritance is his inheritance, and that inheritance is the saints. So God values us so much that He considers that which is His prize, His future, is us being in relationship with Him. I can know the hope of His calling. I can know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I can know how special I am to God. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. 
me stop there, and I know I'm out of time. Karen's already <laughs> given me the two-minute warning, which I'm two minutes past. <clears throat> We're going to talk about that, that incredible power. It says here, the strength of his might, incredible phrase, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's, uh, that's plural there. So there is nothing in this universe other than death. And he raised Christ from among plural dead. What that means is that he can raise in Christ, just as he raised Christ, he can raise us from the dead. That's the incredible power of his might. This is the promise that was given to us, eternal life. And he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We'll pick up on that next week. What is the fullness of God filling us? How do we actually experience that in everyday life? It's an important question. These things should actually change us. They shouldn't just be like titillating truths. They should actually help us draw nearer to God in a way that causes us to be more effective in our walk. To, to do the very thing that Tim was alluding to earlier. To walk worthy of the manner that we've been called. Let's go ahead and close here in prayer. Lord, wow, I just thank you so much for what you packed in uh, in two sentences for Paul. But for us, it's just so incredibly uh, astounding and rich. Lord, help us to um, ponder these truths. Bring them to our memory throughout the week. As we've read through the scripture now many times. As you put it on the heart of everyone here, myself included, to read this multiple times through this week, that I can know you, that the eyes of my heart can be enlightened, and that I will be uh, hopeful. Lord, I just, we need hope in this world. Lord, I just uh, ask that you would help us to um, make this not just words in our, our heart and in our head, but actually words that translate into our feet in the way that we walk, in the way that we speak um, in the way that we act in the world, that people will know that we're different um, just as you are different, they'll know that we're different, and sometimes they'll respond with um, anger and, and hate and ridicule and other times they'll respond with great joy, knowing that life has come into their presence, and Lord um, let us be let us be both, let us be so true to you that we share in your suffering, as it talks about in First Peter. Not that we desire suffering, Lord, but that we desire to be close to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all of these things. We ask for your protection, your provision. Uh, it's an incredible um, time and challenge for uh, all of us, many of us in particular. We ask for your provision, your hand uh, in our lives. We ask for your protection. Keep us safe. Lord, we're so thankful for that which you've given for us, your continual service to us, your life given for us. Lord, um, we thank you for all of these things, and we ask that you be with Bob this morning as he brings your word. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all this. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.